Scripture is filled with men that we can learn from. And in this challenging role of fatherhood that we celebrate today, we look at the fathers in the Bible, and we see some who show us great wisdom, and we look at others who show us what's not wise to do. Of course, the ultimate father in the Bible is God the Father, and he shows us a marvelous demonstration of love and compassion, patience, and a fullness of care for us that we can't even begin to match. Fortunately, he also is forgiving and gracious and caring to us even when we fall short. And we can, we can grow in his love for us. Jack Zavada gives us nine famous fathers in the Bible. And I've taken his article and I have adapted it to today's message. Let's begin with Adam, the first man. As the first man and first human father, Adam had no example to follow except for God's. And we know that he fell short on that. Of course, he sinned and he plunged humanity into a fallen state. Nevertheless, Adam has much to teach us today and fathers about the consequences of our actions and the absolute necessity of obeying God. So, some lessons that we can learn from Adam. God is looking for fathers who freely choose to obey him and submit to his love. God didn't force Adam to obey. God gave Adam an opportunity to learn to worship him through obedience to his guidance. Now, we know he fell short. And we can learn from this that there are consequences when we disobey God. We need to learn to trust and obey God. And that's the lesson we get from Adam. As well as that, instead of blaming others, godly fathers take responsibility for their own failures and shortcomings. When God confronted Adam about his sin, what, what did Adam say? Uh, God, it was the woman you gave me. Who was Adam blaming? Eve. And ultimately, God. You know, God, you, you gave me this woman, and that's why I failed. Is that a good example for fathers to follow? No, we can learn from that. We can learn to do better. And we need to own up to our failings as humanity. After all, we all fail, right? I fail. I'm the pastor. I fail. And God is forgiving. And that's the wonderful thing about him. Next, Noah, the righteous man. Genesis 6, 9 through 10 says this. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. And Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Well, Noah stands out among the fathers in the Bible as a man who clung to God. His name occurs in several other places in Scripture. In Ezekiel, three men of all the people in the Old Testament are cited as righteous. Now, in all the people of the Bible, who would you choose as the most righteous? You've got so many to choose from. But God chose Noah, Job, and Daniel. Those are the three that God chose as righteous among all the people. High praise, isn't it? Good man and a good father. Something else we learn is that obedience is not a sprint, but a marathon. Think about that. God gave him a task that took a tremendous number of years to fulfill, and fatherhood is like that. It's not something that's all over immediately. Of all the animals on the earth, humanity has one of the longest gestation period, periods of nine months. But it doesn't stop there for us, does it? It goes on for a full 18 years. No other animal in all of creation has that long a period of time of staying. And as we know with the boomerang generation, it doesn't stop at 18, right? <laughs> they continue to come back. And we welcome them. We love it. But obedience is a marathon. It's something that we learn and we grow into over time. I want to say one more thing about God blessing Noah and his sons. We, we touched on this in our Sunday school class. Thank you, Jim. But God blessed Noah in a very special way. Think about it. God gave Adam the task of bringing forth the whole human race. And following God, God gave him the additional task of ruling and reigning over the earth, of, over all of creation. So he was the first king and Eve was the first queen. But in order to experience the blessings of God fully, he needed to obey. Of course he didn't. Not only that, but he had the painful experience of seeing his sons in conflict with one another, and we know how that turned out. With Noah, God chose him to replace Adam and fulfill the role that Adam failed to do, to repopulate the earth and to follow God. And he, as I said, is cited as a righteous man. Good example for fatherhood. Now, Abraham, father of the Jewish nation. What could be more challenging than being known as the father of a whole nation? That was the mission that God gave Abraham. He was leader of a tremendous faith, passing one of the most difficult tests that God ever, ever gave a man the test of offering up his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham made mistakes when he relied upon himself instead of God. Still, he embodied the qualities that any father would be wise to develop. Lessons we learn from Abraham. 
God wants to use us in spite of our shortcomings. He will even rescue and support us through foolish mistakes. Abraham was not perfect. But his genuine faith pleased God. When God promised Abraham a son in advance, in his advanced age, Abraham didn't falter in faith. He believed God and he believed the promise. Many years later, God tested Abraham's faith by telling him to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. What an incredible test. He left the very next morning. His was not a partial obedience. It was not a delayed obedience. It was an obedience born in the condition of his faith in God. He told the servants that were accompanying him to the base of the mountain, my son Isaac and I will go up and offer the sacrifice, and then we will come down together. He knew that if God promised that he would have descendants as the stars of the sky through Isaac, he knew God was so faithful that even if he was offered up as a sacrifice, God would raise him up. The same power that enabled Abraham and Sarah, who was past the age of child-rearing, of childbearing, gave them the ability to conceive and bear a child. That same power would raise Isaac up. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed God and believed he had the power to raise Isaac from the dead. Now, friends, he didn't start with that kind of faith. And there were times his faith faltered, but he grew in his faith as he experienced God being faithful. And fathers, that's what we can do. We can grow in our faith. We can experience God being faithful as we trust him, as we take him at his word, as we obey his word, and we walk with him. We can grow in our faith as well. So now, let's talk about Isaac, the son of Abraham. Now, many fathers feel intimidated by their father if they're famous or somebody influential or great reputation. And I wonder if Isaac felt that about his dad. The God chose this man to be the father of a great nation. Abraham was such an outstanding leader that Isaac could have gone wrong and rejected that. Or he could have resented his father for offering him as a sacrifice. And just a word on that. Sometimes that has been labeled as child abuse. I think we need to understand Isaac was an adult at this time. He could have easily, had he chosen to, run away from his aged father. As I understand it, not only was Abraham a man of faith willing to make that sacrifice, Isaac was as well. The lessons we can learn from Isaac. God loves to answer a father's prayer. Isn't that a great thing for us fathers? God loves to answer a father's prayer. 
Abraham prayed for a son, and God gave him Isaac. But you know what? You may not remember this. Isaac and Rebekah also could not conceive. Rebekah was not able to. And so Isaac prayed for his wife, and she too bore children. God answers the prayers of fathers. And we learn parents should not show favoritism to one child over another. Isaac favored his son Esau. They were men of the hunt. They loved to be out in the wild. They loved doing manly things together. What was Jacob like? He was a guy that loved to hang out and cook food. He was a kitchen kind of guy, and his mom favored him. So Isaac favored Esau, the hairy man, and mom favored Jacob. Well, guess what happened? Conflict. One parent favors one child, another parent favors the other child, and whoa, this thing went crazy. What we can learn from that is not to favor one child over another. Now, there will be times in parenting, as you know, when one child is going to require a special touch. One child is going to require special care, maybe an illness, maybe a disobedience. One child is going to require all a parent has got, perhaps, at that time. But we as fathers need to be careful not to love one child more than the other. God has given us our children. And we need to balance it so that if one child gets all the attention at one time, we make time for the rest of the children. And we tell them we love them. And we demonstrate that. We hug our children. Showing them love is the greatest thing we can do to insulate them from looking for love in the world. So let's love our children, dads. Next is Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob was a schemer who tried to work his own way instead of trusting God. With the help of his mother, Rebekah, for example, he stole his twin brother Esau's birthright. You know, Esau's been out on the hunt. He comes in, he's famished. Jacob is cooking some red stew. It smells so good. And Esau says, give me some of that red stew. And Jacob says, only if you give me your birthright. You know, the firstborn. The firstborn was entitled to a double portion. The firstborn was to be the leader of the family. And that was Esau's by birthright. But Jacob, the trickster, says, I'll, I'll trade you some stew for the birthright. And Esau, despising his birthright, said, sure, what is that if I starve to death? That's what the text says, but I really don't think he was starving to death. I think he was just hungry, and he didn't value the birthright at all. So he, he trades it away. Well, that's the kind of guy that Jacob was. He was a trickster. Well, God wants us to learn from Jacob. Instead of being tricksters to get our way, even to get what we rightfully have coming, even what God promised, instead of being tricksters and deceivers, 
God wants us to trust him so we will benefit from his blessings. And think about the blessings that God gave to Jacob. He had 12 sons and one daughter. I pity that poor daughter. But out of the 12 sons, God raised up an entire nation, the 12 tribes of Israel. We often worry about missing God's will for our life, but God works with our mistakes and our bad decisions. Jacob made some boo-boos. He was conniving to get what God had already promised. Our kids will watch us. They will see our character. Let's work to be faithful to God and walk with him every day so that our children will see the righteous character of God. May they see God in us. Next comes Moses, the giver of the law. Moses was the father of two sons, Gershom and Eleazar. And he also served as a father figure to the entire Hebrew nation. They looked up to him. Well, you probably know his story. He lived for 40 years as uh, essentially the adopted son of Pharaoh himself. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter brought him in and they adopted him. So he grew up in power. Interesting. God usually, Chuck Swindoll says this, when God wants to use a man greatly, he takes a great man and breaks him. And that's what God did with Moses. When he realized that he was Jewish, and he saw the Jewish people had become slaves under Pharaoh, and they were suffering terribly from the, the lash of the taskmaster. And one day he looked and he purposed to help his Jewish people. And so he saw a Jew being severely beaten, perhaps in danger of dying. And he went and he rescued that Jew. And in doing so, he killed the Egyptian. Well, the next day, the word is out what he did. And he realizes he's got to flee or he will die. And so he runs off to Midian. He escapes the country and lives as a wandering shepherd for 40 years. Imagine going from the prince to a lowly shepherd in the desert with nothing. He was humbled. Do you think God can use a humble person more than a proud person? That's what he did. Now he's ready. And you know the story of the burning bush and how God appears to him and commissions him to do something incredibly difficult. Go and rescue the slaves, my people, from Pharaoh. So Moses is essentially a slave in the eyes of Pharaoh. What is Pharaoh? He's considered a son of the gods. Upon becoming Pharaoh, you were viewed as the son of Ra, son of the gods. Is that a little imbalanced? A little mismatched? Yeah. But who won? Moses. Defeated perhaps the most powerful person in the most powerful country. Why? Because he was smart? 
Certainly wasn't because he was powerful. Why? Because he had a great God who was on his side. And we have the same God on our side. Lessons we learn from Moses. With God, all things are possible. He was able to win that great battle. With God, all things are possible. Would you say that with me? With God, all things are possible. It was true for Moses, and it's true today as well. We have the same God. God can do amazing things. As we learned in our first hour in the Psalms, we have constant conflict. There's worshiping of God, that's true, but it's in the midst of extreme difficulty. And that's true today. We face challenges, but we have a great God. We may have to endure for a time through difficulty in our lives, whether it be raising children that are difficult or other things, but we can trust God. We can pray to him and we can see him work in great ways over time. Second, sometimes we must delegate to be a good leader. Moses had to delegate. Here he was bringing a nation of people, the 12 tribes, vast numbers of people out into the desert. And he's got to provide for them. God provides. But he also is managing this people who are difficult. I mean, what do you do if you're Jewish people and all you've got to do in the desert is to look at sand? Do you think they got a little irritated with one another? <laughs> hey, man, you kicked sand on me. You know, they, they fought. And what did they do once they fought? They came to Moses. Hey, I've got a beef with my brother here. You've got to listen to this, and you've got to settle it for us. And it got so bad that this went on from morning to nightfall. Every day. And Moses' father-in-law came to him and said, Moses, this isn't wise. You need to choose the best leaders from each of the 12 tribes to hear their cases and their tribe. And then the cases that are too difficult for them, they can bring to you. Well, Moses listened to this wise counsel, and he did what he said. He delegated much of the responsibility and fathers, you will need to delegate. Some of you already have learned that lesson. When your kids get old enough and you've been mowing the yard, you get to delegate that to them. <laughs> I remember when my first son, John, turned 16, and he was right at the driver's test, I think, the very day. Anyway, he got his license right away at 16. And then we, uh, we took a trip to Tennessee from here. On the way back, we were wrestling with, do we delegate and allow John to drive? And we finally decided to let him do that. He drove much of the way back from Tennessee to Texas. He was alert. He was conscientious. He was on top of it. When you see your kids are mature enough, give them responsibility. I got to tell you what Dick Emery says. He says, we're not raising kids or not. We're raising 
Young adults, that's right. We're raising them to replace us. We're raising a new generation to live, to lead, to be responsible. And that's what we do as fathers. So be aware and be ready to delegate. Next, King David, a man after God's own heart. One of the great stories of struggle in the Bible concerns David, a special favorite of God. He trusted God to help him defeat the giant Goliath and put his faith in God as he was on the run from King Saul. At one point, David sinned greatly, but he repented and found forgiveness. His son Solomon went on to become one of the greatest kings of Israel. A couple of lessons we learned from David. Honest self-examination is necessary to recognize our own sin. Fathers, honest self-examination is necessary to recognize our own sin. It's so easy not to do that, especially when parenting. The episode that David had with Bathsheba brought great shame. You probably know the story. He denied it. He suppressed that. He didn't want to own up to it. But in the end, he did. And he wrote two Psalms, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, about that experience. And it's a great instruction manual for us as we deal with our own personal sins and shortcomings. I want to read the first five verses of Psalm chapter 2 to you. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Sin, if unchecked and unrepented of, can have physical effects on us. Our soul and our spirit are connected with our body. And there's an interaction there. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. The problem was not so much medical as it was theological. He's at odds with God and he's unrepentant. He said, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Can we relate? I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Friends, we all fall short. The best thing we can do is keep short accounts with God. Go to him when we fall short. Right away. Talk to him. He's a gracious father. Patient, long-suffering, eager to forgive 
and he welcomes you back. And the reason we confess is so we can restore that fellowship and again experience the joy that he gives to us. Another lesson is that God wants our whole heart. I've thought about that a lot, and I've thought about the verses that talk about David having a whole heart for God. Sometimes I've wondered because I see places where he fell far short. How is that a man of God who has a whole heart for God? And here's what I've come up with. He did sin, in some cases, against people. But his heart for God never wavered. He always had a heart for God. Many of the other kings in Israel's long line of kings began to turn to other gods. Some of them worshipped both Yahweh and other gods. Some of them turned all the way away from Yahweh and worshipped false gods altogether. But David never. For all his shortcomings, he always had a heart for God. And friends, let's be like that. We will fall short, but let's always have a heart for God and turn back to him quickly. He's a loving father who forgives our sins. Next, Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Surely one of the most underrated fathers in the Bible was Joseph, the foster father of Jesus Christ. He went through great difficulties to protect his wife Mary and their baby. Then he saw to Jesus' education and needs as he was growing up. Joseph taught Jesus the carpentry trade. The Bible calls Joseph a righteous man. And Jesus must have loved his guardian for his quiet strength, his honesty, and kindness. Lessons we learn from Joseph. God honors men of integrity and rewards them with his trust. Men, let's be men of integrity. Let's be men that people can find that when we say we're going to do something, we do it. Let's be men who follow our conscience guided by the Bible and are obedient to the leading of the Spirit. Next, mercy always wins. I like that, don't you? Mercy always wins. Note how he treats Mary, who is pregnant and it's not his. And that day, people, when they were engaged, it was as binding as marriage. It was a legal contract. And it was typical for them to take a period of time, perhaps as long as a year, during that engagement period. It was part of a, a test to see if the couple would be faithful to one another. Mary comes to Joseph, and she tells him, She is pregnant, and he knows that child is not his. Some people would have exploded. Some men would have tried to shame the woman, but not Joseph. You know what he did? He purposed in his heart 
to put her away quietly. If this child was not his, he figured, well, she's been unfaithful to me. I will divorce her, but I don't want to shame her. I don't want to embarrass her. I don't want to expose her to public disdain. He, even as he felt jilted, cared for Mary and was looking out for her. Well, the Gospels tell us that an angel appeared to Joseph and said, Joseph, that which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder, as Joseph thought about the verse in Isaiah 7.14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son. Anyway, he embraces what the angel says is, is true. He believes that this child is from God. The angel tells him, don't hesitate to take Mary as your wife. So he does that. Which leads to the next point. Obedience may result in humiliation and disgrace before men. But close friendship before God. Now, I think the people, after the births, they started counting back and said, now, wait a minute, that was not nine months. And so they figure there's been some hanky-panky. Even some people believed that Jesus was an out-of-wedlock child, was conceived by even some other individual. Joseph bare the brunt of that. He carried that. I think they avoided public contact, and when they were called to the census, they were eager to get away from all the gossip that was about them. And yet, God allowed them to go through that, and I think they were drawn closer. You know, interesting thing, we hate trials, right? We hate trials, right? Yes. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> but is there ever a time you go through a trial, you don't have an opportunity to grow in your faith and get closer to God. He uses trials for our benefit. Now, the last one. Who do you think is the last noble father? God, our Father. God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, the Father and Creator of all. Jesus, his unique son, his special son, showed us a new intimate way of relating to him. When we see God as our heavenly father, provider and protector, it puts our lives in a whole new perspective. Every human can learn about parenting from God, the only perfect parent. He is a constant source of strength, wisdom, and hope to Christians everywhere. So here are the lessons from God, our Father. God is faithful. God is faithful. Those that have walked with him, been through the deep, dark times, know he's there with them. They know he's faithful. You know, I think about my own experience. I didn't know Christ as a child. Somebody shared Christ with me 
when I was 19, almost 20. And so by my 20th birthday, I began to try to learn all the things that you guys probably knew, many of you from childhood. Probably every individual in this room knew more than I did about Christ when I was 20. I didn't know anything. I I didn't understand the Bible. I didn't know cheese from chalk. So I purposed to go to learn. And I, I chose to go to a college that had produced evangelists that resulted in my conversion. So I went to Florida Bible College. I was working in the grocery industry, and just as I was contemplating this move, they offered me to move up into management. So I had a choice to make, but I wanted to learn the Bible. So I purposed to pack up my apartment, load all of my possessions in my Montego, and drive to Florida with $200 to pay for rent and college costs. It was a walk by faith. It was stretching me. I was just a few years old in the Lord. And so I I got there, and when I got there, I had mechanical problems with my car. An electrical system actually went out. Guess how much it cost? 200 bucks, yeah. So now I'm down to zero. You know, how do you feel about going to the registrar and saying, well, you know, they say, well, how much do you want to put down? And I don't have a job. I don't know anybody there. It was a walk of faith. But you know what? I got a job. First circle there in Hollywood, Florida, South Florida, at Publix grocery stores. And, And I got a good rate of pay. And so I was able to begin to pay it off over time. And God was faithful. And when I graduated three years later, the debt was paid. I worked for a year as the mail clerk at Florida Bible College. And then with the help of a godly man who was discipling me, I applied and was accepted into Dallas Theological Seminary. So I come back to Dallas. But Florida Bible College was relatively easy. Most of the students there were like me. They were brand new believers. They didn't know anything. But now Dallas Theological Seminary is a graduate level institution that's known far and wide. And would I be able to hack it? Would I be able to learn Greek and Hebrew and theology and all that goes with ministry? And I was intimidated. I got to tell you, I had to do a physical just before entering. And and I remember my eyelashes were twitching. (laughs) And I thought, can I do the academics? And what's more, how am I going to pay for this? It was three times the cost of Florida Bible College. And with increases in pay, by the time I graduated, it was three times more expensive. It was nine times as much per course. How would I do this? But God, I love that, don't you? But God, he opened up doors for me. I got a job and I got an excellent rate of pay. I got a very high rate of pay. And they said, well, you know, we're kind of uncomfortable with what you've asked for, but while you're working full-time in the summer, we'll give that to you. But when you go part-time, we're going to have to cut your pay. Okay. My boss got transferred the week before I went to (laughs) part-time. 
So that was out the window. They transferred a guy in who I had worked for before. He knew my work ethic, and he gave me the highest raise I could possibly get. I was making the absolute top pay. I remember when I cashed my paycheck one time, the girl looked at it. God blessed me, and I was able to get through. God is faithful. Whatever your trial is, whatever your difficulty is, God is faithful. Next, God is love. He loves us and provided a way for us to live with him forever. Do you realize in the Bible that's the great story is he is preparing a place for you? His great passion is that you would be there with him. And that's the end of the story. We live with him forever. It's a fairy tale come true. And he loves us so much that he sent Christ. Because we've all sinned. I'm a pastor and I've sinned. And I try not to sin, but even now, I still fall short. We all do. But in his great love for us, he sent Jesus Christ to be the sin bearer. He bore our sin. He paid the just penalty for our sins so that we could live forever. And if we believe that Christ died on the cross for those sins and rose again, trusting that for our salvation, we will live forever with him. John 6.47 says, Truly, truly, Christ speaking. Can you trust the words of Christ? Truly, truly, I say to you, he that believes on me has, present tense, everlasting life. If you trust him, you have the promise. You have the promise of everlasting life. There's nothing better. It gives us hope in life, and we will have joy forever with him. Have you trusted him? Have you trusted Christ? If you have, you know that. If you haven't, this could be the day. This could be the day you receive Christ as your Savior. Put your trust in him. Our third and final lesson is our Heavenly Father is an example for earthly fathers to emulate. For example, he is a father for gifts. I find that so many Christians have problems with this. I think a whole world does. But one of the things that's blocking Christians from getting farther along is truly forgiving from the heart. You know, I forgive, but I'll never forget. We cherish that. But God forgives from the heart. When he forgives, our sin is totally taken out of the way. Isn't it great to know that? And we as fathers need to do the same. Sometimes we can deal with our kids and we find great difficulty. They may be rebellious. They may be uh, difficult children. 
They may be strong-willed. Somebody said they heard that there were 10% of the population were children who were strong-willed, and after having kids, they think it's more like 50%. <laughs> but we need to forgive them and move on. And the same is true for children. <clears throat> I find many children, they resent their father. Hey, we're all human. We fail. And children may cherish that. Children need to learn to forgive their fathers as well as fathers forgiving the children. So the lessons we see is, number one, God is faithful. Number two, God is love. And number three, our Heavenly Father is an example for earthly fathers. Now today, we have a Father's Day gift. When we had Mother's Day, we handed out a nicely decorated flower along with a card. It's a beautiful token of our appreciation for moms, and I think the mothers really appreciated that. We had some extra, boy, they were, they were grabbing those up, wanted to take it home, you know. It was a good gift. Dads, you don't get a flower. You're more manly than that. And harder to find a gift for, I might add. You're practical. So what we decided on was that we would get a multi-purpose tool for you guys. Here it is. This multi-purpose tool has the usual tools like a Phillips head screwdriver and a flathead screwdriver and a small knife and a can opener and other useful tools. So I think this is a a practical gift that we can give to you that you will appreciate. It also has our name, Oak Hills Church, and our website embossed on the knife, on the multi-purpose tool. If you're a father, if you're a father, you get one. If you're a grandfather, you get one. If you are a father to some child in this church, or anywhere you get one. In other words, all dads get one. So we have them right here with the guys that are handing those out. Please come up and hand those out. Now, what if you have a son who is under 18 who you think is responsible enough to have one of these? Just let these guys know, and they will give you one for your son. If you want to give one of these as a gift to somebody, perhaps to tell them about our church, or maybe your own father, who's not here today, ask the ushers, and they'll give you one as well, as long as we have them. So we offer that to you today. I want to express my appreciation to dads everywhere, and particularly to the dads I know who are here. You're a loving group of guys. You've sacrificed for your kids. You've done great things. God sees what you do, and he will reward you. And I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you so much for being the demonstration of what true fatherhood is. We thank you for your compassion. 
And I thank you, Father, for the good dads that I see here, that I know how they have done. Some of them are grandfathers now, and they have stepped up to the cause to train a new generation. We thank you for that. Lord, help us to always remember you and live for you as an example for young people everywhere. And all God's people said,